You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our throwback review of the 2000 film, Unbreakable. Hi. You're in the emergency room in the Philadelphia City Hospital. I'm ask you some questions. Where were you sitting on the train? Against the window. In the passenger car? Yes. You're certain you were in the passenger car? Yeah. Where are the other passengers? Your train derailed. Took a curve too fast. A second train collided with yours after it derailed. The debris spread over one mile. Why are you looking at me like that? There are two reasons why I'm looking at you like this. One, because it seems you aren't the only survivor of this train wreck. And two, you don't have a scratch on you. I know what's going through your mind right now. You're searching for meaning in all of this. No one thing. 131 people died so you could finally understand the destiny for which you were born. Are you ready for the truth? All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Unbreakable, and the story is as follows. A security guard, having been the sole survivor of a high-fatality train crash, finds himself at the center of a mysterious theory that explains his consistent physical good fortune. When news of his survival is made public... A man whose own body is excessively weak tracks him down in an attempt to explain his unique, unbreakable nature. The film is starring Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, Robin Wright Penn. It is written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Joining me for this throwback review here on the Next Best Picture podcast, I have J.C. Aldrich. Hi, everybody. And joining us as a guest for the first time here on the Next Best Picture podcast, we have a Next Best Picture contributor, Ed Douglas. Hello. How are you doing? And also, there's more, we have as a guest from our own Patreon, Trent Ostrom. Trent, how are you? Good. Happy to be here. Excellent. Yeah, no, I'm great to have a bunch of people here, different voices, some voices that I have heard before, haven't heard before. JC, I've definitely heard yours before. Um, I'll take that as a compliment. And Trent, you were on another podcast review with us in uh, in the past, if I remember correctly, actually. Yes, I was on the Edge of Tomorrow review. Yeah, no, so this is definitely going to be a lot of fun. I know for me, revisiting Unbreakable, I hadn't seen it since like the early 2000s. And much like The Sixth Sense, which was a similar uh, viewing experience for me recently... It felt like I was seeing it brand new for the first time ever, you know, because I've had all these years of seeing these other movies, film school, and I just feel like I have new eyes, you know. So watching it again recently definitely was a different experience overall. We are, of course, watching this in anticipation for M. Night Shyamalan's new film, Glass. But I'm curious to know what the rest of you all thought. So, Trent, why don't we actually start off with you first? What did you think of Unbreakable? So I'm like you. I probably haven't seen this movie in probably 10 years. 
And it was really interesting to revisit it because since we've had so many of these big budget superhero movies, it was very refreshing to see a stripped down story driven, character driven narrative. And I really enjoyed it. I, I remembered, I liked it a lot more than I remember. And it's something that I want to continue to revisit in the future. All right. All right. Ed, what about you? Well, I kind of, uh, I'm not sure. I think I'm the oldest person on this podcast right now. I'm pretty sure I am. I'm not, yeah, I think you are. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> Definitely like, me. <laughs> Wait, you're the oldest? No, she she, she playing you. No, I'm I'm the oldest. I'm old, I'm the oldest everywhere everywhere movie related, but these days. But I, I'm not sure, Matt. Did you did you see it in theaters when it came out? And when you because you were 18 years younger, I guess. So did you see it in theaters? No, no, I did not. Okay, I I saw it in theater when it came out, and it was this was before I was even writing reviews. I mean, I started reviewing like a year later, and uh, I kind of didn't like it at all to the point where I actually walked out missed the twist completely and didn't care that said that said i have we watched again in the years since then it has grown on me um you know we watched before watching split we watched again over the weekend it has grown on me i still see many problems with it um which i'll I'll probably be handling the the negative side of it i guess in that way but i i do feel think that there was there is things in that there was that there were well done and it was good interesting ideas they were just never carried through, um, which was one of my big disappointments with it. And I'm a big comic book guy, too, so I was really kind of disappointed by how it handled some of the comic book stuff. Hmm. Interesting. JC? This will be a really fun podcast. I love when not everybody is, like, on board. Like, when we were doing the Critics' Choice nominations and just everybody was like, Roma, Roma. Black Panther. This will be fun. I'm excited. Anyways, um, (laughs) I definitely really enjoyed the movie. I have to kind of, you know, side with Trent. Although different from y'all, I realized I had never seen this movie. I have seen Split, but I had never seen Unbreakable. Um, I I think I, I remembered the first like five minutes of the film. So I must have watched it a little bit on like Lifetime or something a long time ago. So this was my first time watching the movie. And just like Trent was saying, it was so refreshing to get such like a stripped down story. Um, And Bruce Willis, ah, it was like Bruce Willis from the good old days, man. I was so impressed. I hadn't seen a Bruce Willis like that in a long, long time. So I had a, I had really, Uh, a ton of fun with it and I'm excited to chat about it with y'all yeah so for me I have to say viewing this film now is very different than I would imagine viewing this film in 2000 when it came out because I tried to put myself in the headspace of this is pre-Sam Raimi Spider-Man this is pre-Christopher Nolan Batman this is pre-Marvel like this is pre- anything comic book it was pre incredibles also incredibles hadn't come out yet either no that was 2004 i believe yep so we're talking to make a movie like this in 2000 was i would imagine looked at by the studio as a risky bet but m night Shyamalan did have carte blanche after the sixth sense pretty much could probably write his own check for anything that he wanted i'm sure and this was something that was very, very near and dear to his heart. He wanted to explore comic book uh, culture and wanted to explore the aspect of what exactly makes a superhero. And he wanted to set it within the real world, which is something that I find very interesting 
And I do think that some of the ideas that the movie does play with in terms of questioning if these set of extraordinary circumstances are really something truly beyond human or can it all be explained logically? I, I really thought that the film handled uh, these questions actually like, in a very grounded way. And I, I think it's actually one of M. Night Shyamalan's most mature films. Yeah, it still has some of the occasionally weird dialogue that he's definitely known for where you're just like why couldn't that go on the editing room floor but you know i I think there's also some other elements too that also ground the movie extremely well uh such as the marital status between bruce willis's character david dunn Mm -hmm. and his uh wife audrey in this movie i loved that I loved it. Yeah, I hated. I hated all that. That was part of what I hated about it, actually. Really? No, hold on. Wait, is that because I, I want to know? Because you were hoping for more of a action-based comic book oh, movie no, type not, thing? Not at all. No, not at all. It's just that the way those scenes were paced were just so slow. It was just. Oh, like... see, no, see, no. I like that here. I think he's displaying a, a patience and a maturity mm-hmm. with the storytelling and the writing and letting the actors tell those i mean bruce willis is not known for his acting let's let's get that out of the way first and foremost but i definitely think there's something there yeah the pacing felt very genuine to me in those scenes between um pen and willis especially i mean it just i think what matt and i both enjoyed so much about it is that it felt like it really could have happened in real time in a real life situation but I'm interested that, that that the pacing for you was really bothersome. Did you want it to be faster? I don't think I wanted it to be faster, but I think the some of the ideas I mean, I think I liked I mean, I loved Sam Jackson as Mr. Glass. And mm-hmm. whenever he wasn't in the movie, when whatever was focused on Bruce Willis and his home life with David Dunn and his home life, I was a little bit like, Oh, okay, it's back to them, it's back to that annoying kid i mean especially treat clark i didn't like it all i mean the thing is i i've grown to appreciate it more over like now seeing it back now as i am older but i felt like uh Shyamalan was trying to do something mature with this with this follow-up sixth sense but he wasn't mature enough as a filmmaker to really pull it off and i think that when you see it back now you i see things that are like yeah that's a really good idea that's really good but yeah maybe it should have you know maybe it could have been a little you know and, and, you know, Honest Trailers made fun of that pacing thing as well. It was not – they, they exaggerated, obviously. But for me, I mean, sitting in a movie theater when I first saw it, it was just like, get on with it. Come on. Get back to the, get back to the, the story, the, the reason we're in here, which is about what what's Mr. Glass is talking about. See, I, I think that the pace of the movie uh, establishes a lot of intrigue. Mm-hmm. At least I, I found. Um, and I think that it kind of starts off with the opening shot of the film on the train where the camera, it's one shot and it just follows dialogue conversation that Bruce Willis is having with this uh, woman on the train who he's never met before. And he removes his wedding ring. And I, I this is something that we talked about on the Sixth Sense podcast, too, is that it seemed like with these earlier films, M. Night Shyamalan had a way of really letting the camera uh, you know, kind of tell the story for him and, and that his camera movements are really, really motivated. And there definitely seems to be a thematic purpose to almost everything it is that he's doing on screen. He just feels like he's much more of a mature storyteller with these uh, two earlier films, Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. And then it just seems like 
the success of those two films or the reception or whatever you want to call it maybe he got to his head a little bit and he, he then he just started to get too clever for his own good with the twists and yeah. uh, the budget started getting bigger and then he starts doing things like After Earth and then it's just all downhill. Well, after, <laughs> well, after, Earth is, after Earth is already like, pa- like past the point where he's gone downhill. Like After Earth was sort of like the, I'm just going to direct a Will Smith movie and maybe, you know, I mean, they, they didn't even promote and I think most people wouldn't even know he directed that movie. No, not at all. I think I think most people want to forget that he directed that movie. <laughs> yeah, that was a work for hire. Like, really, I mean, I think a lot of the movies he's made over the years has been his own baby. But I think that movie yeah. was. I'm just going to be here as a director, and and you know, it, I never saw it to be honest. I never saw it afterwards, but but I like that Unbreakable plays out almost like an independent film, and in that. Mm-hmm. There aren't any big fancy special effects. There are no big action set pieces. It really feels grounded within reality in terms of the questions that it is asking. Do I believe that there are people like, you know, Mr. Glass and, uh, you know, these situations and especially the dialogue, like the dialogue is not something that you would find in, say, Manchester by the Sea, where it's like authentic dialogue, you know, between characters that feel like actual people. But. I will admit that I think he comes pretty close in at least exploring the themes of what a superhero is and what defines him as a as a human being and how does he fit within the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, um, you know, especially in that time frame, I'm kind of thinking about like films like Meet Joe Black. Um, where the pacing is sort of slow and the tone overall is kind of somber. And I feel like that was sort of a theme in like later 90s, early 2000s movies where where they're kind of more focused on sort of this like realistic approach to drama, um, which I think is is very special about that time that you don't see very often anymore, um, except in those really independent, like award season films and things like meet Joe black or unbreakable were not put out there to win awards, but yet they still have this slower, um, more focused pace about them that I really enjoyed personally. Yeah. I don't know about that. Not cause I mean, uh, you have to remember six cents did get, well, I think six or seven, Oscar nominations. So yeah, he was coming off that. They did release it in November. I mean, maybe they were looking at maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know if they were going to try to push for Bruce Willis or something. Like that, but I have a feeling that at least when you release it over Thanksgiving, a movie like that, it is, you're thinking, and, and you think, I think you, as a studio, you're probably thinking, okay, we have this Oscar nominated filmmaker, you know, let's, let's, let's let him do what he wants to do and we'll, we'll trust him. And maybe, they put too much trust in that, maybe. I don't know, in my opinion. But I, I'll make the comment that what I really enjoyed about the pacing of the movie is that when you bring up that it's a slow-focused approach, I felt that the pacing really reflected David Dunn's character well, since we're going from his point of view for the most part. I felt that we we see with his character, he's reluctant to go into things, and if he does, he's very careful. And I, I liked how the movie's pacing reflected that. Mm-hmm. Also, also another thing for context that uh, I want to bring up, um, we mentioned like all these other superhero movies that hadn't come out yet, obviously, but uh, the one that had come out was X-Men came out earlier that year. Brian Singer's X-Men came out earlier that year, and I wasn't a big fan of that either, but for different reasons. And But I feel like this movie, when it came out, it was com- coming out the same year as X-Men, when X-Men was just kind of blowing up you know, the superhero movie 
to a certain point. I mean, 50 million opening at that point was a pretty big deal. Um, but then also it came out before 9-11. If, if, I think if, if uh, he had waited a year and 9-11 happened, this movie would have been either not happened, would, would have been killed or been changed because there's no way you can have, you know, like a big, like, a, like well, the ending. I don't want to can we spoil the ending. Is, is it pretty well known that people have seen it already or? Uh, yeah, I, I think at this point, I think if anyone's listening to this uh, podcast review, it's mostly to just hear our thoughts on a movie that they probably have already seen. And I think that, that that's a pretty good, you know, okay. I think there's a good I think there's a good chance anyone that's listening right now that doesn't want to be spoiled to, you know, maybe maybe hit pause here. Go watch Unbreakable. Come back later. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, the, the ending, the ending, I mean, Mr. Glass is pretty much a terrorist. And so having that aspect of the movie, which is a huge part of it, the huge, like the, the huge twist, the reveal, it would have been hard to get that past anyone if, the, if this movie came out a year later. And it would have, you know, he, he, would, he might have been killed. Like if he was making this movie a year later, like Disney would have freaked out and they would have said or Touchstone would have freaked out and they would have said, yeah, we can't do this. I mean, maybe, but also you have to think about, um, was it the third, which Batman, which Christopher Nolan Batman was it where the Joker literally tries to blow up a Steelers game? The Dark Knight. But that was definitely a post 9-11 type film for sure. The Steelers game was the Dark Knight Rises. I know that because I was there when they shot that. (laughs) Yeah. So it's definitely, I mean you know, definitely the timing might have been something to say about that. And I think if anything, they would have needed to make, um, they would have had to kind of change how the ending of the film went in terms of the, the, uh, the repercussions and the, like, I don't think Mr. Glass would have made it into a insane asylum then at that point, but I see your point. I also uh, think that the movie is interesting to discuss in terms of the time of its release. And once again, you know, not knowing what was to become of the superhero genre at that time. And I think this movie was far ahead of its time. You know, we talk about a movie like The Dark Knight and Logan as deconstructions of the superhero genre and looking at the superhero genre from a different point of view. Also, blending together different genres uh, with Logan, the Western, Dark Knight, the crime thriller, and telling new stories as a result, something that feels fresh and new and different. Unbreakable did that already years prior. And because of the timing of its release, it's interesting to me that more people have come around to to it since then um, because the, the superhero genre is built on a formula like most genres are, and people in this day and age are more self-aware of those formulas and thus are always making a lot more noise on social media about them, and that's usually a heavy uh, place to go for criticism as re- in regards to, oh, they're just repeating the same story beats over and over all the time. Oh, I can predict how these movies are going to play out, et cetera, et cetera. Wouldn't Unbreakable just be so much more well-received, you think, if it was released today? I don't know. That's a hard. It's hard to say because, like I said, there is this context. I mean, Lo- uh, Logan is a great example because James Mangold specifically said that, you know, when you make these movies, they can't just be superhero movies. They need to have some other thing. Unbreakable, exactly. Unbreakable was a suspense thriller. It was a suspense thriller with drama that 
just dealt with superheroes in this in that context. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full review of the 2000 M. Night Shyamalan film Unbreakable here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full review, you will have to head on over to our Patreon page where for $1 minimum a month, you will get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from nextbestpicture.com. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, and we shall see you all next time.